Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. And welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next 30 minutes, please join me. Stay with me. 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, education, all done without any manipulation. You've heard that before because you know that on this radio show, we're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to hustle you. We're not trying to get you to join up. We're just offering to give you some accurate information, not human speculation, but accurate information that I think will help you verify as well as identify God's plan for your life. And if you're able to do that, then you can take the information and make the application if you want to do so. I mean, it's your life. You're responsible for it. You make decisions every day about your health and your finances and your friends. So my prayer is that you will understand how bad decisions limit future options. It is not God's will for you to make a lot of bad decisions because when you do that, you box yourself in. And the first bad decision you make is to reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the worst decision anyone could ever make because there's no way out of that. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And if you come to the judgment and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you leave the justice of God no alternative because the righteousness of God will not be satisfied. See, it's a neat thing here. God's righteousness was satisfied through Jesus Christ. Thus the Bible says he that knew no sin was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God through him. So when I come to Christ and receive him as my Savior, I'm given his righteousness. It's credited to me. He took my sin. He gives me his righteousness. And now the justice of God is satisfied because he looks at me and sees Christ. But if I reject Christ, if I try to go to God on my own human standards, on my own good works, then the Bible says there are none that are righteous, not even one. All of our good works are like a filthy rag in God's eyes. And so my relative righteousness won't stand. God's justice must judge me. And I'll wind up in the lake of fire apart from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first bad decision. There's no answer. The second bad decision is when a believer in Jesus Christ decides to go down the my way highway. He decides to ignore God's laws, God's plan. He rejects the establishment concepts taught in the Bible. And he allows his sin nature to dictate policy and control of his life, much like Samson did in the Bible, one of the greatest, strongest men that ever lived, but wound up in self-destructing because of his own weaknesses and his own failures. It's so easy. It is so easy to self-destruct. All it takes is a little bit of arrogance, you see, and arrogance goes like this. When you justify why it's okay to do something that you know is wrong, then you deceive yourself into thinking you're okay. And then you get totally absorbed with that, and then you destroy yourself. So arrogance always follows self-justification, self-deception, self-absorption, self-destruction. You make enough bad decisions, you'll destroy yourself. You'll wind up with no options left, and I cannot tell you how many people do that every year. And for medical reasons or financial reasons or spiritual reasons or whatever. 
we sow to the wind <clears throat> and we reap the whirlwind, the Bible says. Listen, it's critical that you don't self-destruct. God has a wonderful plan for you. And that plan is for you to be happy and to have a marvelous life. <clears throat> so the Bible says happiness belongs to those people who hear God's word and who keep it. To the extent that you don't hear God's word or learn God's word, you're never going to be happy because you're never going to have divine solutions. You're always going to have human solutions. And human solutions are no solutions. I mean, it's like asking uh, somebody in the newspaper to tell you what you should do about some complicated problem you have when the Bible already tells you what you should do about it. And so it's important that you listen today. It's important that you learn these things because your life is at stake. The very happiness of your life is at stake. You don't want to go through life being miserable. You don't want to go through life being full of regrets and <clears throat> second-guessing everything that you do. And so please, stay with me, stay tuned, and learn what these problem-solving devices are. You know, the uh, Bible <clears throat> has a, you got to forgive me, I think I swallowed a frog or something here, but <clears throat> the Bible has a lot to say about the heart. It mentions the heart more than 800 times. And we're not talking about a heart attack. You know, people have heart attacks every day, heart problems. But the Bible speaks of it not in relationship to the organ that's located in your chest, but the Bible talks about the heart as the thing that's located between your ears. Now, you may call that your mind, but the Bible calls that your heart, your cardia. See, what you have up there is you have a noose, N-O-U-S, that's a mind, and you have a K-A-R-D-I-A, and you have a heart. The noose or the mind is where you assimilate the information, and the cardia is where you apply or use the information. And thus, uh, there are two lobes up there, right lobe, left lobe, joined by millions of nerves forming a thick cable. I think they call it a corpus callosum. And uh, the left lobe is called the noose in the original Greek manuscript of the Bible and the New Testament, and the right lobe is called the cardia. And so uh, when the Bible talks about Ephesians 6, 6, that we should do the will of God from the heart, that's not talking about emotions. God, When we're talking about the heart, we're not talking about a feel-good emotion. We're talking about the right lobe of the soul. Listen, in your head, put your, put your hand up there, you know. I mean, you've got left and right side up there. One side perceives it, the other side applies it. One side's where it comes in, the other side's where it goes out. And so in the heart, and this is what's so interesting as we study this, if you don't think the heart can think, if you doubt what I'm telling you, you say, oh, the, the Bible doesn't say anything about the heart being a thinking mechanism. Well, listen as I read it to you. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Yes, your heart thinks. Yes, it's not talking about the organ in your chest. It's talking about the brain between your ears. That's where your heart is when the Bible talks about it. Listen to Proverbs 3.1. My son, forget not my law, but let thy heart keep my mandates. So now you have the heart 
making a volitional decision to say, yes, I will obey you. That's positive volition. Negative volition is you saying, no, I will not obey you. And this is the interesting thing. God gave you volition. He did not make you into a small automaton who has no choice. You can choose to believe in Jesus Christ. You can choose to reject Jesus Christ. You can choose to obey God, or you can choose to reject God's word. The first issue of negative volition found in the Bible it was an eternity pass in heaven when Satan chose to make himself higher than God, when he chose to ascend to the throne of God. He used his superior intelligence, his superior energy and brilliance and everything else that he had, and he made a, a, a decision. I want to be like the Most High God. When you and I self-destruct, we make a decision, and its decision is made in the heart. That's why it's critical that you understand the heart is where the real you is. Listen to Proverbs 23, 12. Apply thine heart unto instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. So what this is saying is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you must learn instructions. You must learn God's word. Jesus Christ, our Lord, put it like this. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What exactly is it that we need to learn? Do you understand that? What we have to learn is the protocol plan of God. We have to learn how that thing works. We live a supernatural life. We have supernatural assets. We have supernatural ability. You say, what do you mean? Well, we have God, the Holy Spirit. No one else has that, only believers in Jesus Christ. We have God, the Holy Spirit. We have God's Word, and the Bible says it's alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. There are about 40 things you get the moment you believe in Christ. And by the way, we have them all recorded in our book, Practicing Your Christianity. So you must learn the protocol plan of God. What do you think the disciples did for three years as they went with the Lord Jesus Christ and traveled with him? They learned. They watched. They listened. They learned. They had to learn because he said, I'm going to leave you. They're going to kill me, and you're going to have to learn how to handle things without me being present and without me having to tell you what to do. And he warned them about that. This is what believers must do. We must learn God's Word. Why? Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And listen, if you don't hear the Word of God, you don't have any faith. You're not learning. You're not growing. There are over 7,000 promises recorded in the Bible. How many of them do you know? Because that's the source of your faith. Those are the rationales you use to make your stand for God. When disaster and tragedy and adversity hits your life, what stabilizes you? What anchors you? It's your faith. It's called the faith rest drill. And that is problem-solving device number three on the flat line of your soul. We've taught that. If you don't remember it, 
let me know. We'll send you the uh, CD or the book on the Faith Rest Drill. It's up to you. But it's, it's the single most significant contributor to your stability in the Christian life. And you must learn information to have strong faith. It's not like a little train trying to go over a mountain, pulling hard and saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. That's not what it is. It's the strength of essence in your heart from learning God's word and storing it inside of you where it becomes wisdom or what the Greek New Testament calls Sophia. When you have Sophia or wisdom, then you have strength. And the doctrine that you learn, the word of God that you learn, is cycled from your noose or from your mind over to your heart where it's stored in your memory center. And there you can recall it when you need it, and it comes out as wisdom. This is the smart thing to do. This is what God wants me to do. Now, if you don't have that, you may be calling the preacher saying, what should I do, preacher? Or you may go to a friend and you may say, what should I do, Joe or Sally or whatever? You can't live your life on what someone else tells you all the time. I have people write to me and say, what do you think I should do about this? I don't answer those questions. I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. I'm just here to give you information and lead you to where you can get more information where you can get under a well-qualified pastor and you can learn and study and grow and you can decide for yourself what you should do. It's not my job to tell you what to do, nor a pastor's job. It's God the Holy Spirit's job to lead you as you learn God's word and put it in your soul in the wisdom department so when a question comes up, you go pull it out and you say, this is what the Bible says, so this is what I do. So when the Bible says in the Proverbs 23, 12, apply in your heart to, under, to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge, knowledge is the greatest thing you could have. You don't think so? Knowledge, you say, oh, how could that be better than gold? How could that be better than silver? How could that be better than whatever? Well, listen to the Lord. Happiness belongs to those people who hear my Father's word and keep it. How's that? Luke eleven twenty seven and 28. You want to be happy? It's not about winning the lottery. It's not about getting a lot of gold. It's about hearing God's word and keeping it. Because when you hear God's word consistently, it goes into your noose, and then you believe it, and you cycle it over to your heart where you store it, and it becomes wisdom. You, in essence, become rich. Rich. Paul said he gave us a treasure in our earthly bodies. And the treasure word in the New Testament, it may shock you when you hear this word, but it's the word in the original Greek New Testament called thesaurus. That's right. It's a word treasure. The treasure of the word of God in your soul makes you rich. You can have happiness when no one else is happy. You can have peace when no one else has peace. You can have confidence when no one else has confidence. You never have to be bitter. You never have to be angry. You never have to be afraid. That's the unique thing about the Christian life. But if you don't learn the Word of God, you will never understand that and never understand how to access that stuff. And you know, if God wants to see what you're thinking, 
if he's in heaven, said, let me check on Rick Hughes today, your host, me. Let me check on Rick Hughes today and, and see what he's doing. What, what do you think he's going to do? Peek down at me and look at what I'm wearing? Wonder what he's wearing today. Listen to what the Bible says. If God wants to see what I'm thinking, he looks at my heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The heart. Not the organ that pumps blood. He's looking inside your ears, between your ears. He's not looking at the noose where the information is received. He's looking at the heart where the information is stored. In other words, God wants to know what you know. He wants to know what you know about him. How can you love him if you don't know him? What's the essence of God? Do you know that? How can you love a God you don't even know what he's made out of? He's sovereignty and righteousness and justice and love and immutability and veracity and eternal life and omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. These are some of his characteristics. Do you know any of those? Do you know what that means? You love God. I'm sure you say you love God. If I ask you, do you love God? You would say, yes, I love God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, if you love me, you'll keep my mandates, and my mandates are not grievous. That's the motivation to obey him is love for him. But what's one of the first mandates? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow, spiritual growth. God wants you to grow spiritually and not be a spiritual baby all your life. He can't put you into the conflict if you don't know the plan. You have to learn. You have to grow. That's why the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Are you going to get to heaven and have eternal life and be ashamed because you blew it? You never took the opportunity to learn God's plan? Yeah, you got saved. Yeah, you accepted Christ as your Savior. But then you skipped on off down the road and got distracted. You never learned. Thus, you lived a life of misery because you compounded one bad decision on top of another bad decision until eventually you just wanted to beat your brains out because you got so frustrated from doing things your way. And you could have saved yourself a lot of misery had you just learned God's word. That's why the Bible says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. God wants you to learn how Christ thought because that was the true man. How, what, what did he think like? Well, the Bible says he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a slave and humbled himself. He had a humility profile. That's what we must have, a humility profile. And how are you going to have a humility profile if you're bowed up mad and angry and fighting for power and fighting for recognition and struggling? You can't, that's not a humility profile. What we think is very important. And for that reason, we're told to guard our hearts. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with diligence. Why should I guard my heart? I can tell you exactly why. Because you have an enemy, a.k.a. the devil, 
and he would like to steal that information. How does that happen? If the rate of learning does not exceed the rate of forgetting, you can forget a lot of what you learned. And he, he can cause you to be very distracted by following the details of life. Satan will give you whatever you want as long as you don't study, as long as you don't grow, as long as you don't replicate the life of Christ, as long as he can neutralize you by giving you a little whatever it is you want. And you're not guarding your heart. You, you didn't guard the doctrine you learned. You forgot it. The rate of learning must be greater than the rate of forgetting. Already, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You've forgotten stuff you learned a long time ago. Oh, you say, oh, I, I remember that little prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Yeah, we all remember that little prayer. Christian life is about a lot more than that little prayer. You know, the Bible says we're not to harden our hearts. We're not to get into rebellion against God. Not to harden our hearts. That's that part of the head we're talking about again. Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen: He that hardens his heart shall fall into trouble. What does harden your heart mean? It's referring to you creating scar tissue on your soul. Ephesians four seventeen talks about where Paul warned the believers not to walk as the Gentiles walk in the emptiness of their mind, in the vacuum of their soul. And he explained how they get porosis or the hardness of the heart whose heart gets hardened. When your heart gets hardened, you don't feel conviction anymore. You don't feel shame. You don't feel wrong. <clears throat> you, can, you can do something and you know it's wrong. It doesn't even bother you. That's why we have so many murders and crimes in America today. We have, we have generations of young people that heart are hard. There's so much scar tissue. They don't feel conviction. They don't feel wrong. They don't feel as if they've done anything wrong. They, have, they claim a victim mentality. And that's nothing but self-justification and arrogance, justifying why it's okay to rob you or why it's okay to shoot you. What a sin. And what a country we live in, huh? We're in sad shape. A lot of hard hearts running around. When you imagine evil thoughts, it comes from your heart also. In Genesis 8.21, the imagination of a man's heart is evil from his youth. No one set you down and taught you how to lie. <clears throat> no one set you down and taught you how to hate. No one set you down and taught you how to be jealous. No one said, okay, let me teach you how to steal now. I mean, that started when you were a little kid. And you're playing with a little kid next door and you took his toy soldier, you took his truck. Or you took your sister's clothes and you didn't ask. You know what I'm talking about. That's your old sin nature. You've got an old sin nature. You got it from Adam. It's inside of you. It's a cancer. And it will always be with you until you die and get a new body, a resurrection body, and in your resurrection body, you will not have an old sin nature. Did you know that God can clean your dirty heart? Yes. When you get saved, God removes the scar tissue. In Psalm 5110, create in me a clean heart. That's one of the first things that happens when you believe in Christ. All scar tissue is removed and your heart is clean, sort of like a 
blackboard in the classroom that's all dirty and chalky and got white chalk on it and you get a wet sponge and clean it up and it's all nice and black and clean again. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I mean, why so much talk about the heart? Why is it so important? Because it's where your true character is formed. It holds the secret to true success in your life, and the treasures of your heart are priceless. Think of the priceless memories that you have. The treasures are keeping God's word and the true formula for success. And true character where you are unintimidated by anything that the devil may throw your way. What I have to ask you today is, is important. Are you guarding your heart? Or do you need a cleansing of your heart? Let me remind you, the Bible says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to purify us from all wrongdoing. You can cleanse your heart today by going to God and admitting your sin. If you hide it and act like you didn't do it, you're just going to build up more scar tissue. I suggest to you that you just simply go to the Father and say, I screwed up. I've done wrong. I'm sorry. You don't have to tell him you're sorry. The Bible just says if you'll name it. But to be honest, I always say I'm sorry. Tell him, I'm sorry, Father, please forgive me. And he'll do it. That's all he's waiting on is for you to announce your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you when you do that. 1 John 1.9 is our problem-solving device called rebound. And you rebound every time you confess a known sin to God. That's why the heart is important. That's why this information is important. And this is one of the most important shows I've ever given to you. Now again, where's your heart? Between your ears. Yeah, there's an organ called the heart in your chest. But you know, you could get a heart transplant and the real you still there. Didn't that prove what I'm talking about? Take your heart out, put another guy's heart in there, and you're still you. The real you is what's between your ears. It's your heart. It's your mind. It's your thoughts. That's where you live the Christian life. That's what God looks at when he wants to check you out. And that's what can get hard and callous and cold. So think about it. Listen to these things. Learn from these things. If I can help you, all you got to do is contact me. I'll be glad to write back and send you whatever material that you need. But this show is designed for one thing, to encourage you to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.